They put me on the table. I remember them raising my feet. I hear them say, he's going into shock. And then the next thing I know, I open my eyes and everyone's standing over me. And the nurse who was holding my head, I, they had a mask on my face and she was crying. Why is everybody looking at me like this? And they're Mary Kay, the nurse, she goes, we lost you for over three minutes. I said, I didn't go anywhere. She goes, your heart went to 273 beats per minute. And then I went into cardiac arrest for over three minutes. No brain activity, no heartbeat. I literally died. Welcome to the free sermon podcast of the Potter's House Church in Virginia Beach, affiliated with Christian Fellowship Ministries. Our vision is winning souls, making disciples, and planting churches. It's Tuesday, where you're going to hear a powerful testimony of God's grace revealed in human lives. Each Tuesday, you'll hear Pastor Adam interviewing pastors from around the world to share the mighty miracles that God has done in their lives to give you hope for yours. We share the stories of the men behind the messages you hear every other day on this podcast. Keep in mind that the free version only includes a portion of the whole testimony interview. To listen to the full version, use the links in the show notes to subscribe via Apple Podcasts or Supercast.tech. Every dollar goes to supporting world evangelism. Enjoy today's Testimony Tuesday. All right, and welcome back to Testimony Tuesday on the VVPH Sermon Podcast. This is Pastor Adam with you again, and I am very pleased to be welcomed by another pastor for this Testimony Tuesday. And uh, today on this episode, we have Pastor Sean Wolf, pastoring in Hope Mills, North Carolina. Welcome to the podcast, sir. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. Well, we appreciate you uh, not only being a guest, but also being a listener to the podcast. Uh, <laughs> how, how long have you been connected uh, and listening to these uh, these episodes? I've probably been about a year when I met you on an impact team to New Bern, North oh, yes. Carolina. <laughs> that was wild, huh? Yeah. And since so we, then, we happen to... I, I'm sorry. I was going to say since then, I, I started with the Pastor Rick Buckles and then I then I just kind of kept up with it, and I know uh, Pastor Ed Tijero, uh Bobby Markwerder, all around my area near the Fayetteville area, North Carolina. Everyone everyone tunes in and and uh, likes it a lot. So I, I think this is a great thing. Awesome, yeah. We've been trying to make our way through all of them, pastors. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so uh, appreciate you uh, taking the time, and we just happened to see each other uh, at the uh, the team boot camp. Mm -hmm. A few yes. weeks ago in uh, North Carolina, so good to see you again. And uh, so we made a plan to to do a testimony Tuesday. So thanks for joining us, man. Yeah, we finally were able so, to meet up. <laughs> absolutely. So tell us, uh, give us the, the the five minute conference version uh, report of where you guys are at, where you're out of, and how long you've been there. Okay. So uh, as you guys may know, my name is Sean Wolf. My wife's name is Selena. We have two kids, uh, Tessa, she's 17 years old, and my son, Luke, he is 14. Uh, we were launched at the Ghost Conference in Prescott in July of 2020. You may remember that had to be shut down because of COVID, and it was mostly virtual, and we were one of the virtual announcements. We were not there. Uh, we were planning to be sent out that July the entire time, and then COVID hit, and then my pastor and I uh, decided maybe we should wait, but during the week, actually right after Pastor Greg Mitchell's sermon on Monday night, I asked my pastor, hey, 
I, I'd like to go. And he says, well, we'll just wait and see. And then we ended up pulling the trigger and, uh, we were, our picture was put on the big screen and we were, you know, um, my mother church is in Clovis, New Mexico. It's probably about 1200 miles away from Prescott, Arizona, but we were there. It was, uh, it, it was a really unique experience. We're watching conference on a computer in my living room. We're sitting in recliners. I'm literally in a tank top and just shorts after work. <laughs> and, uh, and they announced this. I was like, I looked at my wife. I said, I guess we should stand up. And so we stand up when they were praying for us, <laughs> you know, and then, uh, we were, we were very blessed. Pastor Ray Ruby actually gave us a word, you know, from so far away. Wow. And, uh, it was, a, it was an incredible experience. And then we ended up moving, uh, after Labor Day that same year to Hope Mills, North Carolina. Uh, so we've been here, uh, two years living there. Uh, we were able to have our first services in a building in March of 2021. Uh, and so I, I already mentioned my mother church is in close to Mexico. My pastor's name is Pastor Peter Olson. He is Pastor Mark Olson's older brother, as he would say, older, wiser, more handsome. Uh, the church has been there in Clovis for 40 years this year. Uh, he is directly out of Prescott, Arizona. And so we're like a long forgotten grandchild i guess <laughs> you know everyone's like you know where are you from and some of these churches in the east coast have quite a lineage and i'm just like clovis prescott that's it and they're like that's it i'm like yes that's it and so uh, uh but we love it on the east coast um and god's been really really helping us um to get some certain things out of way um I've had two heart surgeries since we've been out here. I had a major heart attack a month after we moved there in October 2020. Spent a week in the hospital, had a major surgery that December. And even through that, um, God has helped us. We were able to get a building less than a dollar a square foot. And if anybody's savvy with real estate in the East Coast, that is a miracle of God. Uh, we got Absolutely. A, we got a 1200 square foot, uh, meeting space. Didn't really have to modify anything other than just put some new paint on it, get it cleaned up, change a little electrical features. And then we were rocking and rolling. Um, I was able to meet right with the landlord. Uh, he was allow us to get in. And so we're paying less than a dollar square foot for 1200 square feet. And it is more than adequate. Uh, hopefully we can outgrow it. Of course, that's every pioneer pastor's dream <laughs> is to get out of there with enough people. But, uh, been very, very fortunate with that. Uh, and very blessed to have some very good friendships that we have forged. I mentioned, um, Pastor Rick and Kathy Buckles are in West Fayetteville. Uh, and I got to know them when I was doing work in Fort Bragg in 2019, just a couple times. And, uh, and that they blessed us with a big TV monitor so we can have slides and, you know, the scripture. And it's really nice and convenient to have. And then, uh, Pastor Ed and Diani Tijero in Spring Lake, North Carolina. They're a huge blessing. Uh, in fact, Pastor Tijero gave me the pulpit I have. And on our back wall, the panels, it's that one graphic design that it's, it's the world uh, map with a preacher with his Bible hold, held up and it has the scripture there. And they just gave us those. And then we've also got to meet uh, Sean and Arsene Duckett, who are now missionaries in Guyana. And uh, they gave us cloth padded chairs. So we were literally hey. with the metal chairs for like eight months. <laughs> and uh, 
we just happened to be going up there for revivals every now and again, whenever Pastor Duckett was having those. And then uh, he was, you know, giving, you know, we're at fellowship and he's, you know, yeah, we're getting total remodel. And I asked a very simple question. I said, so what are you going to do with the, the old chairs? They're black, they're cloth, great shape. And he goes, I don't know. And about a month later, he called me up. He goes, do you want them? I said, yes. Uh, are you sure? Oh, yeah. I'll, I'll try to buy them. He goes, no, no. Me and Pastor Suspansky, I, I think he's what he said. Uh, we're talking about it. And well, long story short, we were able to get those. And so God has just furnished us. We've had a, we've been working with some converts, uh, praise God. And then there's, of course, some others. There's the ebb and flow. Some, some may come, some may go. Uh, but, it is nice to go to church on Sunday morning and preach. And, uh, amen. You know, uh, so we're just really laying in, uh, one of the last little tidbits of my five, maybe now six minute testimony <laughs> is, uh, we were invited to the high schools, uh, through someone at the Spring Lake Church. She's a counselor, works at a high school very close to our church. Uh, long story short, I may not have a 180 ministry like concert and drama every Saturday night, but what we were able to work out with the Cumberland School County is to uh, be certified as a, a an adult uh, mentoring service for high schools. I'm allowed to go to four high schools all around uh, where we live and where our church is at. And for one hour every afternoon, one day a week, I can go. We could set up, we're calling it 180 Ministries, 180 Life Skills. And the kids can come to where I'm at in the classroom, and it can be anything. I can do Bible studies. I can do sermons. I can do even like you know healing crusades. You know, maybe not big uh, like a big stage or anything, but uh, but I, they've given me permission to do everything I want to do. And so wow. uh, we're really thanking God. Uh, I've already got the background checks. We're certified volunteers. Um, we, we're going to hopefully do our first one next week when I'm back home from this business trip and uh, really get get the youth because they're really, really hurting. So we're, we're really trying to reach them where, where they're at. You know, they may not come to us, but hey, if I can get to them, I will. Wow, that's powerful. Uh, um, so uh just just still getting getting your feet under you it seems like uh, pioneering yeah. church you're in the thick of it is this your first time pioneering no this is actually my second um i've been saved in the fellowship over 22 years and so i got saved in january 2000 we first pioneered in july we were announced in july 2007 at the prescott conference we first went to round rock texas in 2007, that same month in July, we were there seven weeks, um, or seven months, I'm sorry. Uh, we were there so short because the seven weeks comes into play. My dad dies of a heart attack, uh, oh right? Because I moved back to our hometown. Nothing was really popping as far as like, you know, don't know where to go. And so I, I figured I can get work pretty easily in Round Rock, Texas with what I did in the military and what I was doing then. And so that, that did pan out work-wise, but seven weeks into it, um, he's actually, he was actually my stepfather, but he was together married with my mom for 11 years from when I was about 14 all the way to about that time. I was about 24 years old then. And he passed away very suddenly of a heart attack. And so the very first thing I ever did as Pastor Wolf, right, was a funeral. <laughs> 
<laughs> and uh, I remember my pastor telling me not to do the funeral, but uh, I really wanted to. Uh, but I did that, and really nothing else really happened. Uh, a lot of wind got knocked out of my sail, so to speak, to be very honest. And uh, But I stayed. I stuck with it, just do what we always try to do. But after seven months, it was virtually impossible to get any kind of building. None of the hotels were allowing me in. Um, there was none of the schools would allow any place to kind of meet. We were having no luck having anybody come to the house for any kind of Bible studies. I mean, like nobody came. And so uh, my pastor and I were speaking. It was about the holidays. And and I was like, Pastor, I don't know what to do. Uh, I don't know if it's maybe it's best that we do come back for redirection. My pastor's like, no. No, maybe let's just try to move you. And I'm like, move me where? And he goes, pick any other city in Texas. Texas is big. Yeah, sure is. Uh, and I, he was serious. And so I was like, okay, let me think about it. So for praying about it, I think, okay, I don't want to go south because South Texas is covered, you know, Pastor Richard Ruby, the San Antonio, there, there's every city, but not so much north. So we ended up going to Tyler, Texas. And we were there from 2008 to about December 2009. We had some really good early success, but I lost my job. And I think it was December 2008, right when the housing bubble collapsed, <laughs> if, you got, if yeah. everybody can remember that. So I'm at a city of about 150,000 people and like 10,000 people all got laid off. So we're all looking for work and jockeying for entry-level positions and I ended up not having a job for 13 months and uh, it was, it was way too long. And that pressure, that, that void of personal finances and everything else that had already happened just ground me down. And then I literally called my pastor. I was like, I quit. <laughs> I'm yeah. about to quit everything. Yeah. <laughs> but I quit. <laughs> and, um, so he, he switched us out with a very good friend of ours, Dwight Marie Schuler. Uh, they're now missionaries in India, as a matter of fact. Um, and we went back for redirection. So we ended up moving back like six days before Christmas in 2009. And then I got a job at a dealership and just tried to live a normal life and uh, was there, yeah, about 10 years until we got launched back out. Wow. Okay. Well, I've already got I've already got a ton of questions for you. Oh, okay. Well, hey, by all means. <laughs> but uh, I I want to kind of put it in order and and kind of uh go back to the beginning and I, I as we love to do, we we want to hear about your background and how you grew up and where and so talk about uh, uh your family life and what what was it like growing up for you? Okay. So I'm 41 years old. My birthday's in July. Me too. Second. Hey, it's a good age, right? Me too. I'm <laughs> no, just kidding. <laughs> and so uh, I was born and raised in Miami, Florida. Uh, my dad left when I was six. Actually, I, uh, I stand corrected. My mom left my dad when I was six. And um, it, it was very hard because my mom very quickly, at least to my, my six-year-old mind, uh, Got together with another guy, and uh, his name was Rick, and they were together seven years till from when I was seven years old to fourteen. He was deaf, born deaf, one hundred percent, both ears. He was six foot three, wow, and he was 
half Apache and I don't know what else, but very big man. Um, he was a very violent man. He was a drug abuser. He was an alcohol abuser and he, and he beat up my mom and myself. Um, and so he didn't really get physical till about the last year and a half, two years. But for those seven years of my life, I was just told I was stupid. I was in the way. I was worthless. I was just, you know, no self-esteem, uh, didn't feel valued, didn't feel loved. You know, my mom, God bless her. She did the best she did. She could. And was, my mom's an awesome mom, you know, and, and even through then it was just now learning the dynamics of what people go with, um, in abusive relationships. You know, I imagine she felt very, very stuck. Um, he was much stronger than any of us. You know, like I said, he was a very big guy, uh, muscular guy and uh but also very violent and from my exposure of those seven years the you know god love you guys the deaf culture that that seems to be a, a common theme because i would imagine with those with that kind of handicap growing up deaf i bet they do feel rejected and you know disowned and so to speak and you know that kind of the fruit's always bigger than the seed right and so for seven years it was a very violent uh, part we were in Florida, South Florida, till Hurricane Andrew came and blew our house away, and we were homeless for I don't know three to four to five months, and we wow. kind of bounced around, and we ended up in <laughs> Round Rock, Texas. Uh, my stepfather Rick, he got a job at the Texas School for the Deaf, as did my mom, and so we ended up out there, and then um, I went to middle school and high school. Um, I'm a band nerd. I, I, uh, I still study trumpet after 31 years of playing. I don't have a college degree in it, but, uh, I've always played on the worship team when I was at home in the mother church. And, you know, it's one of those, I, I can get on stage with any band at any kind of outreach. And if I have a trumpet, I'll just start jamming. Uh, <laughs> and we aim to use that in, um, some of our outreaches coming up this fall especially the Christmas outreaches, I'll go out with my, my trumpet and start playing Christmas carols, draw a crowd and preach. And at least that's hopefully we'll get some good stuff there. Um, and so when I graduated high school, I graduated in 1999 and I joined the Air Force. I wanted to get the heck out of where I was. Um, my mom was married to Dan, the the dad who died when I was pioneering the first time, uh, we weren't really all that close, but he, he was a great man. He didn't drink. He wasn't violent. He didn't do a lot. How, a how lot was she able like, to get out of that abusive relationship? Uh, when I was 14, I think it was the third time the police were called and he was taken away in handcuffs and there was a lot of sheetrock to fix in the house and, uh, we were pretty beat up and I think it just finally snapped and we were done. I think a restraining order was put. If I remember right, I mean, I was 14. <laughs> so I'm kind of filling in the blanks with my adult mind, right? Uh, but we were able to, to leave that. And it was very hard. You know, my mom was working like three jobs. Uh, we hardly ever saw her except for the evenings. But things got better. You know, I think God You have was, siblings? I do. I have uh, one sister. Her name is Ashley. She's uh, two years younger than I. And, uh, and then on my father's side, who I've, this in the past few years, really, um, got to know each other, reunited. We were never 
completely apart, but this very uh, destroyed, broken relationship. But on my on my father's side, I have a stepsister. Her name is Angelica. And then I have a half-brother and a half-sister. But, of course, I don't put the step or the half in front of anybody. Uh, I love them a lot. And we've actually gotten really close over the past, I'd say, five years uh, wow. that I've really made an effort to reconnect with my father. And so, um, but yeah, but back to the, my high school days, um, yeah. or to answer your question. Yeah. We, we finally just got away and he never came back. <laughs> and so I have since learned that, uh, after that blow up, if you will, back in 1997, if I'm remembering right, he, he went up to Taos in Red River, New Mexico, and, uh, he died of a heart attack himself. I think that was probably 14 years ago, if I can remember correctly. Um, but the best thing about at least putting that particular story to rest is I was saved maybe three years and it was Easter and I was so convicted. It was like God was really speaking to me. You need to reach out and you need to forgive him. You know, there's a lot of anger, there, <laughs> a lot of rejection issues, right? I didn't want to do it, but it was like, okay, God. So Sunday afternoon, I call a few people and I find out where he is. And I, and, uh, I think my mom knew somebody who knew somebody and I got his phone number. And because he was deaf, I called uh, the TDDY operator and they phone him. And I'm speaking through a TDDY operator back and forth. And he was really, really surprised to hear from me. But I said, Hey, I forgive you, you know. I want to make this right. I want to be right. And that was one of the hardest things I ever done until I had to forgive my real father. <laughs> but at least for that part of it, it was a big stepping stone that I'm really, really glad I did. Um, and so it's, uh, but yeah, that was a very, you know, stuff that happened then really has affected my salvation life, you know, um, if anybody who watches this or is watching even now who's done Pastor Greg Mitchell's Uprooting Rejection Bible Study Series, or Sunday School Series, I'm sorry, it is worth every second that you watch that because, um, you know, uh, a lot of my healing as far as my daddy issues, father wound, if you want to talk it that way, really began in 2015. But that's another part of the story. <laughs> I'm sure I'll wrap around back to that. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot there to to process and deal with. Mm -hmm. So when when you were going through that and your early life, like before you were saved, uh, how how did you process that, or did you kind of just stuff it away? No, I, I was a very angry guy. Uh, the only happiness I found is when I was in the band, and I had I didn't have a whole lot of friends because I had a very big temper. <laughs> naturally you think growing up with that you just have a very I didn't know how to process I was very sensitive and so I just uh nurtured a hatred for myself and be and through that I just hated everybody else I hated the world I hated you know there was very very few people I can count them I had the number of friends I had in high school I can count them all in one hand and uh, sadly, I'm not really in communication with any of them today. But I just did what every other guy would do. 
I went, snuck out, smoked, smoked a lot of pot, uh, just tried to get drunk every chance I could. My mom had to get me from the cops at the police station a couple times. And, you know, I felt horrible for doing it, but I was just, I just wanted to go forget. <laughs> and so I would sneak out. But in, in, in another side of things, uh, I wasn't this really destructive guy or go looking for fights, but I really enjoyed uh, the music I was able to do in band. And so I was in, the jazz band. I was in a mariachi band. <laughs> so in Central Texas, the ballet folklorico, the Mexican culture, love it, a lot of fun, you know. And uh, I actually, <laughs> believe it or not, was in dance for the last two years before I joined the military. And uh, I did the ballet folklorico. I did a uh, lot Latin dances like the salsa, the merengue, the rumba. Uh, I even got to learn a lot of Spanish. Forgive me, guys. I don't remember a lot of the Spanish. When you join the military, you don't speak it. And I kind of forgot all of it. But that was an outlet, was this music and that kind of art expression. Um, but still, at the end of the day, I was when I was by myself, it was like whatever. I didn't have to keep up that front that I'm doing okay anymore. And this was really, really dark. And so when I graduated... I didn't want to hang around. I couldn't get into college. There was no money. You know, we were barely making it as a family. This was just my mother, my stepfather, dad, and my sister, Ashley. It was just us four. Uh, but barely making it, you know. Um, Dan, my stepdad, he was a contractor, general contractor, did painting, interior, exterior, sheetrock, carpentry. So I kind of learned with him. I liked having my own money. I when I was at work, I was at work, uh, but I just blew the money on stupid things like drugs and going clubbing or doing whatever other dumb thing I wanted to do. And that's when I really like, you know, I'm going to join the military. I don't know what to do, but they'll tell me what to do. So I think yeah. I'll do that. <laughs> it becomes a pretty good option for people yeah. who don't know what to do. Exactly. Exactly. Thanks again for listening to the free version of the VBPH Sermon Podcast, where we post sermons on Mondays, Wednesdays, Fridays, and Sundays. We also have a premium version of this podcast, which posts sermons and interviews every single day of the week. So why would you want to subscribe? I'm glad you asked. I have five reasons for you. Number one, on the premium version, we post full versions of Testimony Tuesday, Pastor Campbell Thursday, and Study Day Saturday. If you'd like to hear those episodes, then subscribe now. Reason number two, uninterrupted listening. We remove all ads and all extraneous content from our premium feed. Reason number three, premium episodes always release six hours earlier than the free version. If you're an early bird, it's a great reason to subscribe. Number four, our subscribers will gain access to our sermon chat group on WhatsApp where we interact directly with listeners around the globe. If you'd like to chat with other premium subscribers, subscribe today. And finally, every dollar we raise goes to world evangelism. This is the best reason to subscribe because you are helping us launch churches all around the world. We don't put one dime in our pockets. Everything that we raise from this podcast will go directly to Thursday night of Chandler Conference. So please subscribe today by using the links in the show notes below. Thanks. So, um, well, I, I want to uh, 
I want to just ask you, how old were you before you uh, got serious following Jesus? I got saved when I was 18. Um, okay. And it was so like... Before, before we talk about that, I, sure. I, I'm curious, and I always love asking this question. Okay, Looking back be, before, you were, uh, before you were saved, what, uh, what kind of spiritual influences did you have? And did, can you remember any, any times that God was really dealing with you? Yes. Uh, my grandmother, uh, thank God she's still alive today. She prayed for me, and as long as I can remember, she's been born again. Um, you know, um, and so she, she lives in Orlando, Florida, has lived in Orlando, Florida for, man, like probably over 30 years by now. And, and by proxy, so does my, my real father. He's in Orlando too. And so my dad for a while, he got saved under Benny Hinn. Now, before everybody laughs and mocks and scorns, this was when Benny Hinn had a church of like 60 people. And you would have to think, he had to have been legit at one point. He had to have gotten saved at some point, you know. Yes, I think he's totally false and just full of Fruit Loops and cereal, you know what I mean? <laughs> but, but you know, maybe at one point this guy had a real heart for God, and my dad really did get saved. And for a little bit of my life, when I was about 16, 17, and going into 18, my dad did try to reach out to me because he was going to church, and he was being faithful, I think, to God. But I just, I pushed him away. I didn't want anything to do with him. In my mind, he totally abandoned us or me and didn't want me. And I couldn't figure out why he didn't want me. And so that just got compounded by everything else that had already happened. So when I first joined the military, of course, I go to San Antonio for boot camp. But then I get stationed in NAS Pensacola, Florida, because... I was a sheet metal guy in the Air Force or corrosion control or whatever you want to call it. But my school, I spent five months in Pensacola, Florida. And so this is a pretty neat story. Um, when I was able to go off post, go off base on the weekends, we would all go to the boardwalk, the beach, and just have a great time. Well, everybody was drinking, me included. You know, I was only uh, just just turned 18. And I uh, was loving just being on my own. I felt like I was a part of something, you know, that camaraderie that the military was really, really good for me in that respect. And so what do military guys do when they go get drunk? They go get tattoos. And so my friend got this stupid bull's head of the Chicago Bulls right on his left uh, shoulder. It's the most retarded thing. <laughs> <laughs> we, we were both so wasted. He had no idea what he even did till the next morning. He's like, Wolf, why did you let me do this? <laughs> I was like, I don't know. I was too busy talking to another tattoo artist because he's like, hey, do you want to get one? I'm like, yeah, sure, let's get one. He goes, well, what do you want? I said, I have no idea. And he goes, well, do you want something cool or do you want it to mean something? I'm like, I want it to mean something. So I ended up talking to this guy. Okay, so this is what I wanted, right? I told everybody I was an atheist, but on my back, my whole back, and trust me, back then I was in really great shape. You know, the the physique, the the build, the muscles, it was all there. I wanted a, a Celtic cross, the entire span of my shoulders and back. <clears throat> and on it was to be put a rose vine, and every rose blossom would have been a member of my family present, and then 
if I ever had gotten married, which I didn't want to do then, but I said, well, maybe, but if I did, I could always add to it, right? And then in Latin below the the cross was going to be Jesus Christ. I must have been really drunk because I had this all written down. I was like, why in the world would I want this tattoo, you know? And he's like, you're like a cholo. Yeah, yeah, it was, I was a really confused guy, you know? <laughs> so I was a white guy, I was a cuero, you know, a gringo who thought he was Mexican because I could speak Spanish and I knew how to do Latin dances and all this stuff. So we were going to start the tattoo the next weekend and I had to bring like the first installment of like four installments of 400 bucks. So the next weekend comes, we're all, me and seven other guys packed into a 1986 Ford Ranger. This little itty bitty truck. Red truck, stick shift, I'll never forget it. It's, it's the only thing that guy can afford that they can get us to the beach. And so we were all ready to go and everyone's piling in and I'm going out of my room, out of the barracks and the phone rings in the room. And I was like, Hey, that might just be my mom. Just hold on, guys. I'll be, don't, don't leave me, but just wait for me. I'll be just a second. I go pick up the phone. It's my grandmother. I'm like, Grandma, hi, how are you? Okay, Papa. Okay, I gotta go. I gotta go. I go. She goes, No, 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 Sean, I just want to tell you I'm praying for him. I'm like, Yeah, yeah, whatever. Okay, pray all you want. I don't care. She goes, Sean, listen to me. Don't go do something you're going to regret for the rest of your life. Out of the blue, she said that? Out of the blue, she said that. And I'm like, I love you, Grandma. Bye. Click. And I'm stunned. And I'm like, I got to go. And I'm running out the door. The phone's ringing again. I'm like, I don't want to be rude to my grandmother. I'm like, oh, she's calling me back. Oh, my gosh. Okay, just let's just take a second. I pick up the phone. The last person I would ever expect to call me. My father. I'm like, what do you want? And he goes, Sean, he goes, you just been on my mind and I was praying. I'm like, I don't care. I got to go. And he goes, Sean, I love you. I don't want you to do something you're going to regret for the rest of your life. And I about, the phone about drops out of my hand and I just, I don't even say, I just hang up and I run down to the, the, the outside where the barracks were and (laughs) my friends left me. I could not get. A ride to the beach. It was an $82 cab ride from the base to the beach, to the boardwalk. I am furious, so mad. I'm like, they left me. You, you know, I had a lot of choice words, and so I was angry. So what did I do? I go work out. Nothing else to do on a Saturday. I'm stuck on a base. I'm on a, I'm on a Navy base. I'm an airman. Nobody likes me because I'm an airman. You know, the Marines pick on us all the time. It's just, it's a, it's not fun, right? And so I go work out. I go to the movie theater. I go to the PX and then I just go back to my room. We, you know, we had, I had a roommate and then we shared a bathroom. Another room had two other guys. So it's about 8.30 at night. And the curfew by then was about 11 that night. So whenever all my friends get back, or my who I thought were my friends would get back, I was going to let them have it, right? But about 8.30, bam, 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 bam. I mean, almost busted the door down. It scares me to death. And I get out. You know, I'm just in shorts and a tank top. And it's my uh, my flight commander and two MPs. And I'm like, I didn't do anything. 
I, I was yeah. here. I was, I didn't even leave the school grounds. I, I was on the school grounds. They go, Wolf, report to the office in three minutes. Yes, sir. I get dressed and I head over there. And there's, you know, a major, a lieutenant, the, the senior master sergeant, the techs, the staffs, and the police and the detective are there. And I'm like, oh, no, I didn't do nothing, man. And they go, where were you today? And I said, sir, I went to the gym. From I just told them my whole day. I was from this on this. Time. I was at the gym. I went, saw a movie. And they go, can you provide us with the movie ticket stub? I'm like, yes, sir. And they go, go do so. So I'm like, I sprint to the room, get the movie ticket stub. And I'm like, here it is, sir. And okay, he checks out. I, I didn't sign out, you know, of the of the barracks or nothing, you know. And so like, all right, we asked you those to verify you weren't at the beach today. I said, no, no, not today. What happened at the beach? They all got arrested for underage drinking. And they got in a fight. Oh gosh. And two of them were in jail out of the eight guys. There was eight of us. And two of them were in jail for the night. And they all got busted. And a lot of them were busted for underage drinking. And so if I had gone, I probably would have been either a surely at an Article 15 or maybe even completely kicked out with my past um, disciplinary actions already. And so, but my, the, um, the squadron, the, 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 the NCOs, they all knew we were all running buddies. And so they knew I was doing the same thing. They knew we were underage drinking, but they, they couldn't bust me, but they busted. <laughs> and so, uh, ended up two of them that got, got kicked out of the Air Force, sent home right there. Everybody else had Article 15s, permanent, you know, records. And I missed it. I uh, I was like, oh my gosh! And so, uh, luckily, I was. They didn't. They didn't discipline me. Uh, and the rest, I think, I was there another month and a half, another six weeks. Uh, I didn't touch any alcohol because I knew they were watching me, and I was not about to get in that much trouble again. And so, the guy who had the truck, I said, "Well, you can't drive. Can I at least drive before you?" <laughs> so I was able to go on and off post as I wanted to, and. Uh, the last week I was there, I was on the boardwalk and I had just finished eating dinner. And then I'm sitting there with three other guys that I had befriended that we were all base. And we're just sitting on like a picnic table on the boardwalk. And there's about seven, eight kids, teenagers, young, you know, late teens, early twenties. And they, and we kind of see them out of our, the corner of our eye. And um, then they all turned as one and they come up to us as, individuals or pairs and they asked me what's your name i they introduced myself and they go we want to say jesus loves you and you died for your sin and you can be christian you can be born again would you like to do that and i just like get the f out of my face <laughs> i just i just cause and i was like i look back now i was like i was so mean to those guys <laughs> oh my gosh you were that guy <laughs> i was that guy you know i was the spokesperson for everybody else i was like go away and they're like okay 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 you know they were so nice i was like oh my gosh god forgive me for whatever i did to those guys uh but it was a full-on witness and you know, I don't know if we had a fellowship church in Pensacola in 1999 or not. I have no idea. Um, could have been, or if not, it was, that was the other, the last spiritual exposure. And wow. uh, the next part of the story leads right into the, the beginning of my testimony. 
<clears throat> well, yeah, then keep going. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I didn't know if you wanted to segue or anything else. And so, uh, but yeah. No, I'm so, captivated. <laughs> so we, I, I get stationed in Canada Air Force Base, Clovis, New Mexico. I called it the armpit of the Air Force because <laughs> I'm driving uh, there in January 2000. And I've got, I was like, I'm looking out. I see nothing but pastures and cattle and ranches. There's no farms. There's no tree, hardly any trees. And I'm like, I've died and gone to hell. There's nothing here. I drove through the town and it took me all of 10 minutes. I'm like, oh my gosh. You know, I'm born and raised in Miami, lived in Austin, Round Rock, big cities. And I'm used to the hustle and bustle. And I'm like, where? This place doesn't even have a Walmart, which they did, but it was on the other side where I looked and that's it. There's nothing else. <laughs> and so I get to my duty station, Cannon, and um, God puts me with, Tech Sergeant Jack Evans. Um, he had gotten saved under Harold Warner in Tucson. And then I don't remember the pastor's name, but he was in a fellowship church when they were in Alaska. And then he got to Cannon. So he was my sponsor, my my everything. I was hooked to him like glue. And uh, I think it was the second week. I remember the day. It was January 13th in 2000. It was a Wednesday morning. We're on the flight line. Now, for those of you who don't know, it is bitterly cold. It can be bitterly cold in Clovis. It was, I was on the flight line, so it's about 20 degrees, and the wind is blowing its normal speed, which is about 30 to 40 miles per hour. Yes, that fast all the time. And so the, the wind chill is bitter. And we're doing a, a repair on an F-16 in the landing gear, and my hand slips, and uh, I hit the bulkhead at a 16 and I just do what any other normal guy would do, just let out a string of profanity. I was like, is that really hurt? And Sergeant Evans goes, Wolf, you need to watch your mouth. I said, F off. And I was like, oh. <laughs> Bad move. I'm a, I'm a two-striper telling a six-striper to, to F off. I'm like, oh, my gosh, that's all I need, you know. And uh, so he looks at me, full of love patience and compassion and he goes wolf you got a really big chip on your shoulder you know that and i just just, just grumble and he goes tell you what why don't you come to church with me and i may forget this ever happened i looked uh, at him i was like you're on i'll grin and bear one little church service i used to go to churches <laughs> when i was in high school for drug deals or for girls or for anything but the right reason right and so i go and I'm I'm smoking because I was a big smoker then, and I mean I was into it. nineteen had, years old. Uh, I was still eighteen. I was still eighteen. Eighteen. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And uh, I had like cigars. I had a humidifier. I had a pipe. I had loose leaf tobacco. Oh, you're serious. I bought like sixty hundred dollar, two hundred dollar cigars. I had the Clippers. I had the Zippos. It was it was a hobby, and I really enjoyed it. <laughs> so I'm I'm. Smoking a big cigar, one of the most pungent, strongest aromas one I have, because I wanted it to be my smoke screen. Get it? My smoke screen. So <laughs> <laughs> I uh, I walk in. Everyone's, hey, how you doing? You must be from the base. I, I was total clean cut military guy. You could spot me a mile away, right? And um, I'm just being polite. I'm not there to be stupid. I'm just there to do what he wanted me to do and hope he doesn't write me up with an LOR or an article 15 the next day. 
so I see him. I meet his wife and his three children, uh, Jill, Jace, Jaya, and Jed. I still remember you guys. And so I sit with him in the service, and so Pastor Olson's preaching away, and I'm like, man, this guy really believes what he's talking about. <laughs> you know? And, uh, you know, there's about 90, 85, 90 folks in the church, and, um, of course, the altar call comes, and and my knee is shaking a 100 miles an hour, and all I can think of is, I need a cigarette. I just need to get out of here. I'm done. Can I leave yet? And uh, just rejected the the invitation. Nope. Not interested. Don't want any of this. And then like our churches have, we, we open the service for everybody else. And then I'm watching all these people go to the altar and I'm kind of really perplexed. Like, what is this? You know? And I turned to Sergeant Evans. I said, aren't all these people already coming to this church and saved like you guys are talking about and already love Jesus and everything? And he's like, well, yeah. And I'm like, so why are they going to the altar again? If that's what you, this is what you do every time. And he goes, no, 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 no. And he just explained to me this, you know, maturing relationship. They're asking for forgiveness for what was dealt in the sermon or they're going up there for Thanksgiving or they're interceding for somebody, you know, all the different the the dynamics of an altar call and it blew i don't i don't know why it like it hit me so hard between the eyes i was like no way these people can't be serious you know because all i'm thinking is this turmoil and violence and abandonment and all these things and i was like how could you guys even give this guy two seconds of anybody's attention but i was struck by it captivated even and uh so sergeant evans goes wolf are you ready to get that chip off of your shoulder and to this day i don't know why i said it but i I looked at him i said i don't want to lie anymore because everything i've been living was a complete lie so i go to the altar i pray and i'm like that's it yes that's it wolf what i was like no emotional moment no heavens no angels singing no nothing and i was like i don't nothing happened and sergeant Evans was like well if you meant it you'll know (laughs) okay so i'm trying to leave right i'm ready to go but god bless our fellowship they just don't let a visitor go (laughs) so hey come over to the house come and i'm like you guys don't want me coming to your house guys you know (laughs) they're so insistent and i you know they're and they know how to tempt military guys we'll give you a home-cooked meal and i'm like anything's better than the chow hall or the defect please okay all right you got me i'll come when and you know where so on so forth so they finally let me go, right? <laughs> I finally get to go, and I get in my truck, and like any smoker would, the first thing you do is you put whatever you're smoking or a new cigarette, you light it up, and you go. And I put the, the cigar there, and I pop my Zippo, just like a trick you always do to try to impress people. And I'm sitting here, I'm going, okay. I haven't been tempted from any smoking anything since. I was completely delivered. I mean, and I, like I said, I was into it. I liked it. I enjoyed it. And it was just like, it tastes like ash in my mouth. 
which is funny because it, it is ash. But, you know, <laughs> to a smoker, it's no, no, it, it's ash, you know. I take, I go one step further. I get everything out of my truck and I'm holding back in 2000 about 80 something dollars worth of stuff. Cigarettes, lighters, cigars, so on and so forth. And I go in the alley behind the church and I throw it in the dumpster. Nobody told me to do that. My pastor didn't preach on smoking. He didn't, I, nothing like that. And I'm walking away from the dumpster going, what did I just do? <laughs> and I'm, I'm bewildered. I'm going back to the barracks. No music. The windows, the windows aren't, that was freezing cold. And I'm like, what the heck is wrong with me? And I sleep for like the first time probably ever. And a whole night's sleep. I get up. I go to work the next did day. Did you have, do you have, you have trouble sleeping up until I, that point? I did. Oh yeah. I had nightmares. Um, just, you know, would wake up all the time just in fear of being hurt or abandoned or, or threatened some way. So yeah, um, I never, I never. So that, slept. W- that w- was meaningful to you that you had a peaceful night of sleep. Yeah. And that's what was really spinning my head when I went to the shop. Cause this was a Wednesday night service I went to. So Thursday morning I'm working on a, on an aircraft part. I'm, doing something and then smoke break and I habitually put everything down and I'm walking out to go outside and I'm slowing down. I'm like, I don't want to do that. I don't want to go back. I, I don't want to do this. And I, but I was stuck. I don't know what to do. And I'm trying to think of something because it's a free break, right? <laughs> and Sergeant yeah. Evans comes out of the office. He was the shift supervisor. He goes, Hey Wolf, you want a Coke? And I'm like, yes. <laughs> did it about face and kind of hung out with him for a few days on the breaks until I can not really have to be with him. I can stand on my own two feet. And so I was one of those converts when I got saved. I never missed a service. I just didn't. I, I went to the Bible study Friday night. They told me it was a dinner, but it was a Bible study. They didn't tell me that much, but I stayed. Of course. Right. <laughs> and, uh, and then I kind of just, Begin making friends for like really I, I was afraid to do that. You know, I had fake friends in the military, you know, all those running mm. buddies I had that I shared with, you know, I never really considered them friends. Like, will you help me with something? Or I'm scared. Can you help me? I, I would never go to them for anything. It was just, we hooked up because we outnumbered some of the Marines and we wouldn't get beat up. <laughs> you know? So, <laughs> But but that was right where the living for God began. Wow. So, uh, well, okay. So I'm curious about what you said when you noticed that the rest of the church was going to the altar call, and uh, and you were you were captivated by that. I'm just, what do you think about that? Was was so um, noticeable by you? To me. It, it spoke volumes to me that they were, they did what they said they would do. You know, I, I, I don't remember the sermon that Pastor Olson preached. I don't remember what it was about. But, you know, having been in the, saved in the fellowship over 22 years, you know, you just hear these reoccurring themes that God isn't this, this isn't some religion thing. It's, it's a relationship. It's, 
it's a continuation. It's it's a lifestyle. It's a it's a connection that we have with the God of the universe. And what I was seeing all that, I didn't understand any of that. But to directly answer your question, right then and there, I was like, these people really mean what they say when I am a Christian. Mm. That Jesus so saved me. Authenticity. Yes, yes, yes. That, that's a great way to describe it. And, you know, because when everybody was shaking my hand and asking what I was about, they were always throwing bits of their testimony in there here and there. Oh, yeah, I used to, you know, be in the military and I was just raging wild. You know, some of these people, like uh, Dave Bias, him and his wife, Andrea, they're now in uh, Moore, Oklahoma. He works at Tinker. Uh, they were stationed there at the time. Um, gosh, you know, there's lot, lots of people just were talking about all these, these connections that they had with people. Oh yeah. You know, I know people who are in our fellowship and I was like, what's, what's the fellowship? And I know it. I like, this is this one church. I had no idea it was bigger than that. Uh, hmm. but the fact that they welcomed me and embraced me in, despite me knowing me, but them not knowing me, I was like, you guys are crazy. A special kind of crazy, <laughs> but but again, that that altar was. I, I think I had I had enough sense to realize that, okay, that first part was for sinners. The second part is for Christians. That that was clear to me. That that was not a confusing point for me, because I heard him say it. You know, okay, uh, you can still get saved. This time is not up. But Christians, if God has dealt with you, come to the altar. And speak with God, to spend time with God, and they were doing that, mm -hmm. and that bewildered and captivated me because every like like when I was when I told Sergeant Evans, I don't want to I don't want to lie anymore. I was always faking it. I was always giving the appearance to the world that I had it all together and that I could hold my own. When the reality was. I was one scared little boy <laughs> when mm. I said I had this mm. the first time I slept is it's because of those nightmares is because of those tears in the night. I'd just be up all night thinking, going, what could I do different with this person or this circumstance to get what I want? Because it was all, I was all about me. I didn't really care about anybody else. That's why I didn't have any good friends. I didn't want to make relationships or any kind of commitment to anybody else. Yeah. But yeah. for some reason, when they invited me to their houses and homes and back to service again, I, I said yes. Yeah. <laughs> I said yes because yeah. I was like, I don't I, I I need to do something different because if I keep doing the way I was gonna do it, I saw other guys in the military, you know, just as messed up as I was, but older, and I'm going, Man, is that really gonna be me? Am I gonna be that messed mm. up? You know? <laughs> yeah. So it sounds like you saw something in those people that you did not see in yourself and you, you wanted yes. that. I did want it because, uh, you've reached the end of the preview of this testimony Tuesday episode. If you want to hear the second half of this interview, please use the links in the show notes to subscribe. You'll get daily sermons, full testimonies, and an interruption-free listening experience. And every dollar 
goes to world evangelism. Thanks for listening to this episode of Testimony Tuesday on the VBPH Sermon Podcast. Thank you so much for listening to the Sermon Podcast of the Virginia Beach Potter's House Church. Were you blessed by today's message? Let us know. Please leave us a rating on Apple Podcast or on Podchaser. We'll be back next time with another life-changing word from heaven. God bless. God bless.